people are moving away from products that require chemicals. Uh, we're doing that in our own household. Uh, I know Norwex is doing that. And that's really exciting to see. Welcome to On the Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life, including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. Welcome to part two of my three-part podcast with Dr. Bruce Lanfear, Professor of Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia. He is also the principal investigator for a study on childhood exposures and toxic chemicals. In this podcast, recorded at Leadership Conference 2021, Dr. Lanfear and I discuss body burden and the crucial importance of preventing exposure to harmful pollutants and contaminants. Learn how these little shifts in our behavior, both individually and collectively, can have a big impact. See, my son is 17, so at 17 years ago, um, I was certainly aware of BPA and in baby bottles and using glass bottles actually for, um, for babies at that point. But we also know to your point that when we replace BPA with say a BPS, um, we don't know that it's not as bad in fact as BPA, but maybe in a different way, right? So those replacements, just as you're saying, are not always better. And, and I often wonder you know, it's not the easy answer to really look at the need for pesticides, right? And say, how can we do this differently? How can we farm differently? That's a really big, complex concept. But at the end of the day, it feels like what we're finding is, you know, instead of replacing, it's it's almost, in some cases, you need to find how can we not need to use these at all, or this, this class of chemicals at all. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most exciting things that we're beginning to see happen. For example, up until just a few years ago, I think most of us accepted this assumption or belief that we needed pesticides to feed the world. We needed synthetic pesticides to feed the world. It's not true. Now, you can guess where that belief came from, was fostered, uh, but it's not true. Uh, there are safe ways to make food available that won't contaminate us to various pesticides. Um, and so that, that it's really kind of exciting and we can see that in other things as well. We don't, people are moving away from products that require chemicals. Uh, we're doing that in our own household. Uh, I know Norwex is doing that and that's really exciting to see because one of the most important concepts to, to work on when you're concerned about prevention, you always want to keep making sure you're going upstream. Right. The idea is not to let's find children who already have ADHD and treat them. I mean, we need to do that, right. but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to go upstream, finding out what the risk factors are that lead to children developing ADHD and stopping it there. Right. So, totally agree with you and, and um, love the fact that as you're talking, I'm even thinking that um, the work that's being done today, whether it's on the research side or it's from consumer advocacy as they research and understand more, while it may not 
seem like it's having an, an impact right now. It's laying that groundwork, if you will, that foundation upon which, you know, over the next few years, we can continue to build to get that attention, hopefully to ultimately culminate in, for example, those pesticides being eliminated entirely. It takes time, but I think we all can have that impact starting in our own homes and starting to build that foundation. I kind of have this visual in my head as you're talking about how we're doing that. So I, I really yeah. like that concept. I think there's a couple of things that are really important. One is, you're right, it does take time. And, and that's one of the reminders for me that gives me some hope. You know, on those days I get frustrated. Oh. I, I remind myself that if you want to help bring about fundamental change, it's going to take time. Don't don't wake up tomorrow morning and expect the newspaper headlines to be different. The other thing is that more and more, and I'd say especially mothers, um, are beginning to pick up this message and run with it and do things with it that scientists alone couldn't even begin to hope to do. And and that's, that's hopeful because if you go back over the past century and you look at where we've made progress in public health, we've needed two things. We've needed uh, good science, good data, good information. That's just one thing. The other thing we need is uh, parents, community to get engaged around an issue. It's not enough to have the science. I totally agree. Mothers have more power than they know. You know. We've made very little progress in, in the past public health uh, mm-hmm. efforts without mothers being behind it. Right. Absolutely. It's that mama bear. When you start talking about children, mama bear comes out and, and really wants to be a part and protect. Yeah. Even in my household. I mean, I, you know, I'm the environmental health person. Now my wife's a pediatrician. Uh, but, but Nancy is the one who makes sure that the day-to-day stuff um, is consistent with many of the things that, that I've studied that I you know, advocate for. Right. Right. Absolutely. So um, effects on IQ, I know this has been a key part of your research um, and the Little Things Matter um, video, which we shared with our, our, our customers and consultants, I don't know, maybe maybe five or six years, is that right? That seems like a long time, but a number of years ago, and it was really eye-opening. I'm wondering, can you just kind of walk us through that graph and, and that concept of, again, this idea that making those little changes both um, can be part of the problem, or I think conversely, it can be part of the, the cure as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this idea that little shifts matter is is kind of an odd one for most of us to get our heads around. We want to rather find those big risk factors that cause, you know, 100% of the problem or 90% of the problem. But I think more likely, whether it's preterm birth or whether it's IQ deficits or whether it's many types of cancer, it's the cumulative impact of many subtle risk factors that result in disease. And so while it would be appealing to tackle one thing, it really is more than that. The other thing that really, I think, is is powerful is this idea that when you shift the curve, you may only see, let's say, a five IQ point decrement. And for one child, that can seem substantial, but if I'm just looking at two children, I couldn't necessarily tell the difference between a child with an IQ of 105 and 100. But if I shift the IQ of the entire U.S. population, it has huge magnification of its impact. For example, every year there's 4 million children born in the United States. 
And if we look at the impact of low-level lead exposure in the past, it shifted the entire IQ by five points. That means there are 57% more children who have an IQ below 70. And those children, when they grow up, will find it harder to contribute to society, um, may need more educational services. And overall, for each IQ point they lose, they will have about $20,000 less in lifetime earnings. Now again, 20,000 may not seem like a whole lot, but magnify that by 4 million children born every year for how many decades, right? We had this lead epidemic for decades. Um, it puts us at a disadvantage compared to other countries if you're into that kind of a competition. But the other thing to recognize, of course, and this happens consistently, is we, even once we reduce exposures to something like lead in North America, the industries that sold lead to us shift their marketing strategy and now they sell it to Southeast Asia and Africa. And so now 80 to 90% of kids around the world who are lead poisoned lived in low to middle income countries. And that is just as tragic as what happened to us here is that we failed to learn from those mistakes and now we're watching it happen elsewhere. Well, I think that's well said and, and something we might not recognize that there's a downstream effect. We talk upstream, but now there's a downstream effect from the actions that we're taking today too. Yeah. yeah. So shifting a little bit into talking about prevention a little bit more versus the treatment. Um, I know that this is something that, that you have strongly advocated, continue to advocate. And looking at this idea of um, you know, low versus high risk groups, um, this, the idea of latency period, uh, we talked a little bit about that, but maybe if we could touch on that. And then some of the, um, the, the data that you've shared about leukemia, about the rise in autism, uh, particularly due to environmental factors, would love just to hear a little bit more about that. Okay. I don't know if I can keep all those straight, but like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's start with, with one of Jeffrey Rose's radical ideas. Rose had this radical idea that there's no reason that people in any one country couldn't be as healthy as those people in the healthiest country. Something like hypertension is not inevitable. We develop hypertension, we develop uh, coronary heart disease, we develop cancers because of the environments that we've lived in the environments that we have created, right? So this isn't a hard concept if you think about, if I live in a, an area next to a forest where there's yellow fever and Anopheles mosquitoes, I'm likely to get yellow fever. If I don't live in that area, I live in Chicago where we don't have uh, yellow fever circulating, I'm not gonna get it. Well, the same is true for industrializing diseases. We've created uh, these societies with all these contaminants and many of the diseases that we have are a result of that environment we've created. They're man-made. I mean, that's a radical idea in itself. Yeah. Most of the chronic diseases that we suffer from, that we die from, are man-made. It's also quite hopeful, as you said, right? Because if we set up an environment that makes these diseases, we can change the environment to make it harder to become sick. 
So when we look at things like autism, for example, or any of the chronic diseases, but let's take autism, for, for example, we've seen this dramatic rise in the incidence or the number of children every year who develop autism. Now, undoubtedly, there's always been kids who are on that spectrum, but this rise is just much more than we would have ever expected. Over a 10 to 15 year period, 600% increase. What's so striking about that though, is in the first 10 years of the 21st century, NIH spent over a billion dollars to understand the etiology or the cause of that rise. 96% of those dollars were spent on genetics. We're never gonna solve this problem by studying genetics because the, the genetic makeup of the population has not changed that much over the past three to four decades, right? So this dramatic rise has to be the result of environmental triggers or environmental triggers acting on our genetic makeup. But those genetic studies that are done in isolation from the environment will inevitably fail to provide the answers we want. But it's even worse than that. So let's take this a little further. We've learned, particularly during the thalidomide epidemic, be really, really careful what drugs you give to pregnant women, right? So we've spent all this money on genetics to understand the etiology of autism. Maybe 15% has been explained by that huge, huge uh, investment. But to me, the question is, why are we even going down that road? What are we going to do with the information? Are we going to use that genetic information to design new drugs? And what? Give drugs to pregnant women? Be really careful, right? right. Are we going to use that genetic information to design CRISPR babies? There's a lot of errors in gene editing. That's not where I'd want to go for my grandchildren. I would much rather find the contaminants like air pollution or pesticides, which have been linked to autism, and remove those from the environment rather than start getting around with genetics. I mean, talk about arrogance. We're going to take thousands and thousands of years of evolution where we evolved with our environments, right, in a balance, but also with enough diversity to adapt to things. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, but we can do better than that, right? I don't trust that we can do better than that. And I think that's one of the most important questions we can ask. Technology has brought us some wonderful things, but it's also been quite tragic in so many other ways. Right. And we still have failed to appreciate that much of our problems today are because of our arrogance, thinking that we can do it better than evolution. listening to part two of my three-part series with Dr. Bruce Lanfair on Body Burden. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. 